Thank you, Stephen. Good morning. It is nice to see all of you today. Hope your day is going well, that you've been greeted. If you're visiting with us, we're especially pleased you're here and uh, hope that you will be back and uh, be with us again. Um, there are a number of announcements that are important for different activities uh, coming up this week. So we encourage you, if you've not picked one up, to get one on the way out. Today there's a picnic for the preschool immediately after the assembly in the pavilion out back. You can pick up some food and uh, and share that on um, on Saturday. No, Friday, the 14th. Uh, yeah, which, which what day is Valentine's Day? I better get that right, right? Um, on February the 14th, there will be an activity, a bilingual activity here at the building, and there's details in the bulletin for that. And, uh, and then on Saturday the 15th, there's an evangelism activity as well. So please uh, take a look at your, your bulletin and the different events there. Um, our, our text today comes from Matthew chapter 5, and uh, I'm going to do things a little bit differently. I'm going to begin by reading the text and then uh, uh, we'll begin to uh, think through it. As, as I'm reading the text, or as you're, and then as you're following along on the screen, um, there's three sections, and each section is uh, separate, but at the same time there's a cohesiveness to the three. And so uh, we don't do this often, and if you're unable to, I completely understand, but I'm going to invite those of you who are able to stand, and then I'm going to read uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 20. You and you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, then how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come, says Jesus, to abolish the law and the prophets, to destroy them. I have not come to abolish them, but rather to fulfill them. For truly I say unto you, Until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, neither the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. You may be seated. Thank you. Now, when we think about this very familiar text, um, we can't help but think about our situation and thinking through and interpreting this text through our um, understanding. So I, I brought my lunch with you. 
If you're new to church, let me just give you a heads up. This is just something like an insider thing. When the preacher brings lunch to his own sermon, run. Because he's going to be here for a long time. Um, no. So when I hear this teaching that says that, talking about salt, well, I think about this. Now, this is pink Himalayan salt, which is evidently really good for you. I don't know. Salt is salt. It tastes salty. Actually, this is not quite as salty as the other. It's supposed to be better for you. And so when Jesus says, I am the salt of the earth, I kind of think about this. But this is not what they would have been thinking about when they were listening to Jesus speak. Now, some of us might think about the bigger chunks of rock salt that you use when making homemade ice cream. That's coming in August. So that's what some people think about. But but I think about salt of the earth like decent people. Like the Bible, like in common usage, you know, he's just salt of the earth or she is salt of the earth. It's like a decent, dependable kind of a person. Well, one of the tasks when we read the Bible is to understand that these words were spoken to a people in a different land, in a different culture, in a different time, and a different language. And so one of the first tasks that we have to do is to somehow understand what would this have meant to them Jesus had gone up on the side of this mountain. And that immediately makes us think about another famous Bible hero who went up on a mountain to receive some teaching from God. Moses went and received the Ten Commandments. Now Jesus is on this mountain receiving and teaching the commands that are important for his new kingdom. And you have the disciples and the crowds gathered around. And as we began looking last week in Matthew chapter 5, he begins by declaring, you are blessed. You are fortunate. You are truly in the best place if you experience less than ideal circumstances. If you are in mourning or if you are at the end of your rope, if you feel that uh, you are spiritually broken, then God can begin to work in you. And once you are filled with this hunger, uh, once you hunger for thirst uh, and thung- hunger and thirst for righteousness, and you are filled, then you'll be able to be merciful, and you'll be able to uh, uh, to help those who need peacemakers in, in their lives. And, and so Jesus continues to talk, and he uses a very direct form. He doesn't say you individually, but you all. Or if we were in Alabama, y'all are the salt of the earth. Again, like he did with the Beatitudes, he doesn't say you should be the salt of the earth. He doesn't say you'll become the salt of the earth. He says you are the salt of the earth. So so if Jesus wasn't thinking about this nice granulated salt in a salt shaker, and his hearers weren't thinking about it, what might have been in their minds? Well, in the modern world, as well as the ancient world, salt is used as a seasoning to help food taste better. And it was also true in ancient times. 
But another use that is not quite as common today as it was in ancient times was that salt was used as a preservative. It was used to cure meats and fish, especially the the fish that they would catch uh, from the Sea of Galilee. And then they would salt it and then that would cure it. And they were able to consume it and sell it for weeks and perhaps even months after uh, it had been fished. And so um, it didn't spoil because there were no refrigerators then. But beyond that, did you know that God required salt to be put on all the sacrifices in the temple? When you made a sacrifice, you had to salt not only the meat, but also the grains. That salt was a part of your sacrifice to God. And that those offerings then forged what was later called as the covenant of salt. Appears three times in the Old Testament. To emphasize the relationship between God and his people. That there's this sense of salt helps seal this pact that I have from God. And did you know that salt was used to rub on newborn babies? And I think partly because there was this understanding that salt, even though they didn't understand why salt was kind of special, salt was somehow holy. And so you would rub it on a baby. It might have had some other kinds of uh, uh, health reasons as well. You probably didn't know that salt was used in small doses as a fertilizer. I would think that it would kill something, but it was actually used as a fertilizer to promote growth. And then you might have heard this before, but that salt was so valuable in the ancient world that they actually used it as currency to pay people. And based on that, we get the word salary. Salt. So what was Jesus specifically thinking about? Well, I think he was thinking about all of those things, the religious the, the, the health, the social. But the idea is that for people who put their trust in God, for people who have decided to follow him, for people who are now part of this new kingdom, this kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven, that they are so vital to the life of their communities, they are like salt, useful in so many different ways that you couldn't even begin to think about living without it. Now, if Jesus were here today, I don't know that he would use salt. Because some of us have high blood pressure. And some of us avoid salt. In fact, most of the foods, if there's an option that we have when we purchase foods, we buy either low sodium or no sodium. The last thing I need is more salt. So I don't know that Jesus would call us the salt of the earth. I guess they had high blood pressure back then, too. But what what, what is something that is so necessary and vital to human life and to our relationship with God? Well, there's any number of things, but let me just suggest one possibility. If Jesus was preaching today, he might say something like, you are the Wi-Fi systems of the earth. Think about it. You can use Wi-Fi to connect to God through scripture reading, prayers, news. You can use Wi-Fi to connect to family, communication, and pictures. You can use Wi-Fi to play games and just lose yourself for a little while. You can use Wi-Fi to check your email, weather, traffic, sports. It touches our life in so many ways. And when you don't have Wi-Fi, yeah, you know it. 
If you don't have a cell signal, yeah, it affects you. You feel it. You know it. So Jesus is using something that was so vital to their very existence that the absence of it would be so notable. And so he says, if it's not still salty, it's not good for anything. Now, how many of you guys are chemistry majors or took chemistry back in high school? Let's see. Anybody? College? Okay, a couple of us. You might or might not remember, depending on how well you paid attention to chemistry class. I didn't know. I took chemistry, did not remember, so um, I'll just disclose that on the front end. Uh, but I read about it and read and, and did some studying from chemistry professors. Salt is one of the three or four most stable components on the face of the earth. In fact, one chemistry professor says there is literally no chemical reaction which can turn a sodium ion into anything else but salt. So salt is always salty. So what's Jesus talking about? He said that salt can lose its flavor. It can become unsalty. Well, this is highly refined and it has been mined, and it has been, gone through this process to remove all the impurities. The, the salt that they would have used, you know, salt comes in chunks uh, when it comes from the ground, when it's mined. If it comes from the sea, you have to pour just large quantities of water into dark plastic uh, 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 canvases, and, and, and then they wouldn't have plastic then, but some sort of surface. And then as the water evaporates, what's left is the salt, and you mix it in, and there's some sand, and there's some other kinds of things, probably some vegetable matter. And so their salt was not very pure. And as those other elements in the salt degraded and decomposed then that would affect the composition of the salt itself. And at some point, you would, be, you would end up with some sort of power, powder that wasn't very salty, and it wasn't good for anything except to get tossed. Salt that isn't salty is useless. Wi-Fi that's down is useless. The message on my phone that says no signal is useless to me. Why even have a Wi-Fi? It's kind of, okay, I'm going to get off on something here. Hot sauce is not hot is useless to me. Why have hot sauce and call it hot sauce if it's not hot? So, in the ancient world, salt served to make life more enjoyable, to make meals more pleasant, to sustain life itself, to connect people to God and with one another. And what Jesus is saying is that you people, you individuals, and you collectively as a group of people that have made the decision to follow after Jesus are so important to the lives of your community that you affect it in ways that you perhaps might not even realize. And it's not because we ourselves are inherently good but because the one we follow and the one we look like and the one that we act like is good, then we have influence. But if we don't look like and if we don't act like Jesus, why call ourselves Christians? The only Christians that are worth their salt 
are ones who look like and act like Jesus. To drive that point further home, he now declares that we are the light of the world. Once again, Jesus' followers would have heard this a little bit differently. Because they were well familiar with the Old Testament text that says Jewish people are the light of the world. That God had placed them as the light to the Gentiles. In Jewish thought, Jerusalem was the center of the entire world, not just the religious world, but the entire world. And the prophecies were that all nations of the world would come to learn from the Jewish people. But, you know, these individuals, the, the, the regular men and women that were surrounding Jesus, they never would have thought that they themselves were the light of the world. They would have thought that, yeah, he's talking about the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the people that know the law really well. Those people would be the light of the world. Those are the ones that everyone will be coming to to learn from. But, but, but the problem is, is that when those individuals set themselves up, they almost demanded that everybody look at them and focus on them. Now, my other lunch for today is a flashlight, right? Now, this is one of those um, heavy-duty tactical flashlights that uh, I think you can see on the moon. That's what they said. I don't know anybody on the moon to verify. But, you know, you can make all these kind of claims that you can never verify. So I'm going to turn it on. Pretty powerful, right? Well, no, can't even see it. <laughs> and, and, and you guys, I mean, you're all looking at the flashlight because I'm holding it. But, but let me suggest you do an experiment when you get home. When you get home tonight, after it gets dark, with your mom and dad present, <laughs> turn off all the lights in the house, and then turn on a flashlight. Now, when it's dark and there's a flashlight, do you look at the flashlight? No. You look at where the flashlight is pointing. Because the flashlight's purpose is not to draw attention to itself. The purpose is, is to illuminate some other place and point you to where you should be looking. And when you look at the flashlight in a dark room, you'll be blinded. What the Pharisees had done was basically set themselves up as the flashlights of the ancient world. And they said, look at how good we are. And Jesus says, that's not the point. What is it that we should be doing with our flashlights or with our lives? And Jesus says, good works. That's the whole point. That's what it means to be light, is to do good works. And once people see the good works... Then they glorify the flashlight. No, they glorify God, the maker of the flashlight, as it were. Like salt, a light that can't be seen is useless. A flashlight with dead batteries isn't much good. 
Those are the first two paragraphs, salt and light. The third paragraph is a little bit odd, then you might think, well, it doesn't really fit with this. Uh, The third paragraph has to do with whether Jesus came to abolish the law or not. And actually, it really fits well. Because Jesus is now going even further into what he's trying to say. And what he's saying is that all of this Old Testament law, the law of Moses, the law that the Pharisees and the teachers of the the, the law uh, followed, all of them point to him. And when he comes, he will fulfill everything that the law said. He will put it into practice. And he says the followers... His true followers are the ones that will follow and live God's teachings in practical and meaningful ways. To know the law and not do it is like unsalty salt or a flashlight with dead batteries. And that's why the emphasis in the Sermon on the Mount and the conclusion is whoever hears these words of mine and puts them into practice are like the wise man. The foolish man is the one who hears these words and keeps on walking like there's no difference. So what Jesus is actually going to be doing in the next section, and he begins doing it, is making this transition to say that there is this big difference between the Pharisees and the followers of Jesus. The Pharisees know the law, but they don't know God. And those who know God put his teachings into practice. There's a text that's really informative to to what we're talking about this morning, and it's in Isaiah chapter 58. And, And I don't have it on the screen because it's one of those things that if you can actually get a Bible and look at it, it, it will be this text and the next one I'm going to mention. In Isaiah chapter 58, uh, uh, the author is talking about religious practices that are truly meaningful to God. And he's using the example of fasting. And he says, what is true fasting? In the course of verses 7 through 10, he twice makes this statement. In verse 8, he says, then your light will break forth like the dawn. Your light will shine. In verse 10, he says, Your light then will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. So whatever's in between and around these verses have to do with how do you make your light shine? How can you make your lives shine so brightly that it's as if in the middle of the night it was daytime? And this is what Isaiah says. Is it not, verse 7, to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked and you clothe him and not turn away from your own flesh and blood... If you will do this, then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here I am. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, 
with a pointing finger and malicious talk. If you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, listen, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. How can you make your light shine? Jesus says by doing good works. What kind of works? Isaiah tells us the way you make your light shine is by helping the poor, the naked, the oppressed, those who are in need. Now, this shouldn't surprise us. Because in Matthew chapter 25, when Jesus is talking about the coming judgment day, He says, there are a certain group of people that I'm going to look at and I'm going to say, come. And then he's going to say, there are a certain group of people that I'm going to look at and I'm going to say, get away from me. Come and depart. The people, he says, come are entering into his heavenly presence. The people to whom he says, depart, he is saying, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and for his angels. It's a pretty stark difference. Come to me or depart into what we would commonly call hell. So whatever he's talking about and to whoever, to, to whomever he's speaking, this is important. This is heaven and hell, life and death. So the king says, as he gathers all the people together on this day of judgment, as he sits on his throne in heavenly glory, all the nations, Matthew 25, 32, all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate all the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, come. You who are blessed by my father, blessed are you, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5. Now he's repeating, you are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. And what is the basis of this choice in this election? Verse 35. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And then he will say to those on his left, verse 41, Depart from me, you who are cursed, the opposite of being blessed. Depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Catch what he's saying. The people to whom he is now going to speak will spend their presence and their existence with the devil and his angels. And what did they do to deserve this casting away from Jesus' presence? Verse 42, 
For I was hungry, you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you didn't clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. Do you want to know how to get to heaven from this text? (laughs) Help those who need help. Do you want to know how to get to hell from this text? Ignore everyone that has a need around you. It's striking. And I guess what strikes me the most is we don't really believe this. We see someone in need and it's, eh, no big deal. We see someone who has situations in their life and we have the opportunity to be salt in that person's life and we have the opportunity to be light in that person's life. And because we don't really believe that not helping someone can earn me a ticket to eternal destruction, I let it go. If we take Jesus' words seriously, as we leave from this place, there will not be a hungry person we meet. There will not be a needy person we meet. There will not be someone who has a spiritual or physical need that we won't in some way try to help. Is our life making someone else's life more enjoyable? Are we helping them enjoy their meal, as it were, their life? Are we helping connect with this covenant of salt? Are we helping be what connects God and people? Is our life bringing light and life, uh, light and warmth to the dark and cold places in our community? While we're not to draw attention to ourselves, if we're not doing our righteousness before men in the presence of our community so that they can give glory to God, then we're as useless as unsalty salt and a flashlight with dead batteries. Now, the good news is our life is not over. The good news is we have time. The good news is we have this afternoon and we have tomorrow and we have this week. Most of us will. Most of us will have next week and the week after. And so the challenge for us is not to think of the salt and light as these cute little objects, but rather to understand that what Jesus is saying is our presence in this world is so important. It's how God is going to transform the world through us. We can know all the Bible in the world, but if we don't practice it, it's like unsalty salt and a flashlight with dead batteries. If you haven't begun this walk and you're interested in finding out more, we'd love to help you do that. If you have some specific prayer needs or some challenges that you're facing, we'd love to help you with that as well. Jeff is going to be up front, and uh, we invite you to come. If we can pray with you and for you, if you have any questions or doubts, we would love to be able to sit down and chat with you about that as well. So please make that known. Let's all stand and sing, and uh, you can come forward with your requests.